Hello, and welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, and I believe that the best leaders don't try to do it alone. As the CEO of Bregman Partners, my mission for over 30 years and the mission of this podcast is to help successful people like you close your leadership gaps, grow as leaders, and inspire your team, inspire all the people around you to get great results. I always feel fortunate when I get an awesome guest who can come back to the podcast and we can talk more. And that is the case for today's podcast. We have with us Emily Fletcher. She wrote the book most recently, Stress Less, Accomplish More, Meditation for Extraordinary Performance. Those of you who are regular listeners know that about a year ago, almost to the day she was on this podcast, And we talked a lot about meditation. I did her meditation course, which I found to be really transformational. So I'm happy to have her back with her new book. Emily, welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. It's our one-year anniversary, Peter. Our one-year anniversary (laughs) and the seven-month anniversary of your baby boy. You're a new mother. Yes, I am. His name is Jasper, and today's his seven-month birthday. It's amazing. He's amazing. It's really really great. And so there's um, there's a lot, I'm sure, that we could talk about around how meditation helps you in in pregnancy, giving birth, and motherhood. And uh, and I know that meditation has helped me in my fatherhood, uh, although I have some older kids, but uh, but still in their teenage years. So it's... You That's know, when you need it most, I think. It is very <laughs> Because useful. you really need the patience, the yeah, kindness. Yeah, it's really very useful. Okay, so yeah. let's, talk, let's talk a couple of things. First of all, you have, you know, a, an online meditation course that I took that I really like. You have an in-person meditation course that since we last spoke, I also took and I really like. And now a book. Why a book on top of those other things? Mm, good question. So the way it was explained to me is that you wouldn't, if you were at a bar and you saw someone that you were interested in, that was kind of cute, you're kind of making eyes at that person, you wouldn't walk directly up to them and be like, hey, would you like to sleep with me? Like, that's just like a little too aggressive. It's a little too much too fast. And uh, I mean, maybe that's someone's speed. No, so I'm and just curious. Do... I'm just trying to think like, so sleeping with you is the online course or the, or the sleeping with me course? is the live is, is the, the live. live. That's live. Course, right? Like that to me is like, we've gone to full, you know, fourth base. Right. Like, <laughs> I mean, besides teacher training, like that's kind of as far as you can go. Right. And so I think there's like the, you know, there's the making eyes, there's the winking, there's the flirting, there's the giving someone your number. There's the, you know, I'm, I'm, I miss the online app dating era, but there's like the swiping left and the, whatever the apps do for you now. And that's kind of like the online course, you know, that's a couple of dates. Um, and then, you know, sleeping together is the life, but I wanted people to have a way for us to meet people that maybe aren't interested in like committing to 15 days or don't have a few hundred dollars right off the bat until they really understand the neuroscience behind it. And so the book is very much um, the neuroscience behind why stress makes us stupid. It's going through all the selfish reasons that most people come to meditation. Like I want to increase my performance capabilities. I want to have better sleep. I want to boost my immune function. I want to have better sex, better parking karma. And so I really go through all these and, and look at the neuroscience behind why stress is making us stupid, sick, and slow, and how meditation can help. And then in part two, I teach a technique that is gentler than the online course. So it's a great way for people to get started. It's a great thing to do if you don't have support, you know, because obviously I can't support everyone face-to-face through the book. And then in part three, we look at what's the ripple effect of, of this practice. Like, how does you improving yourself help your relationship, your family, your coworkers, and then ultimately humanity itself. 
So it, to me, this is like a great, for people who don't yet have a practice, it's a beautiful way to start and really get a solid intellectual understanding of why it's important at all. Because everyone's like, I'm too busy to meditate. And if you really understand the neuroscience of what stress is doing to our productivity, then that idea that I'm too busy to meditate just becomes a, a moot point. Um, okay, and then so... For yeah. So I want to. So I, there's. I want to. I want to. I'm going to a couple of things really quickly because you've said a lot already, and I just want to ground people in in some foundation. So quick definition for those people who don't know, like what is meditation? And you define it somewhat differently than they might already think if they know what meditation is. Yeah. So where this gets confusing for a lot of folks is many people are using the terms mindfulness and meditation as synonyms, and most of what is available readily, easily accessible right now, apps online videos, YouTube videos, drop-in studios are teaching what I would call mindfulness. Um, so I define mindfulness as the art of bringing your awareness into the present moment, which is beautiful and important and necessary. And um, it is easier to teach someone mindfulness via an app. Or So basically, anytime you're being guided, anytime you are directing your focus, it's keeping you a little bit more in your left brain, waking state, and I call that mindfulness, directed focus awareness, which is very different than the type of meditation that I teach at Ziva, which is all about surrendering. It's all about letting go, and it's actually all about inducing very deep healing rest so that you can heal not only your stress from the now, which is what mindfulness does, but you actually get rid of your stress from the past. So all of that stuff that we've been storing in our cellular memories, all that stress that we've been accumulating in our cells and in our epigenetics now we know, um, meditation is going in and, and getting rid of that. So my analogy is mindfulness is like an aspirin. I have a headache, let me take an aspirin, I feel better in the now. It's a state change in the immediate, whereas meditation is more like the vitamin. And it's just a slow, steady process where we're nourishing and, and mm, getting rid of that stress from the past, which is the thing that improves our performance capabilities. So if, if, you know, sometimes I think of stress as literally energy stuck in the body, right? Like if you get stressed, it, you know, and, and, and there's sort of acute stress, like we were talking about slightly before the show, you know, I got into a bike accident, everyone, I'm okay. But, but it's, but there was acute stress in that moment. My body seized in ways like that. And, and there's a sense of, of releasing that. And then there's the overall stress, like I'm just moving really fast and I'm, you know, have too much to do and I've been doing that for 30 years and so that accumulates. Are those different kinds of stresses and does meditation work on both levels or does it work on one level versus another level? Great question. So a thousand percent, there are different types of stress and there is acute stress like getting into a bike accident or, you know, your mom passing away or, you know, there are things like that. Well, I want to I want to amend that. The bike accident is acute stress. You're in the woods and a bear jumps out at you, like acute stress. And and I'm defining that as your body's going into a little bit of a fight or flight stress reaction. Right. There's shock. And yeah, there's shock. And and it's actually not bad for you to get stressed. In those instances, it was absolutely appropriate for your body to get stressed in that bike accident. Right. You wanted your blood to thicken and coagulate so that if, you know, a bone got exposed, you wouldn't bleed to death. Right. You wanted that adrenaline and cortisol to amp up so in case a car had landed on you, you could get yourself off or get yourself out from underneath it. Like we the whole point of adrenaline and cortisol is to give us superhuman strength in those dangerous situations. Right. And that's not bad for us to get stressed. What is terrible for us 
is to stay stressed. And that's the other kind that you mentioned, this chronic low grade fight or flight that most of us are living in 24 hours a day. And this is the thing that doctors are calling the black plague of our century. This is why Harvard Medical School is saying that stress is responsible for 90% of all doctors visits because most of us have more on our plates. We have more to do than we have time in the day. And we have more emails to answer and more deadlines and red eye flights and emails and inboxes and text messages and Tinder and kids and, and our parents are sick and, and bills to pay and the government shut down. And, you know, it's just this constant onslaught of stuff that leads us, that leaves us in this chronic fight or flight thing. And that thing over time, those adrenaline and cortisol stress chemicals that gets released, they are acidic in nature. And that acid creates inflammation in the body. And inflammation is the basis of all chronic disease. And so when we introduce meditation into the equation, it's getting rid of that adrenaline and cortisol. It's clearing out that acid. It's decreasing the inflammation, which can help the body heal in the way that it was designed. Um, but as far as your question, does meditation help with both? I would say it's very, very good at dealing with that chronic stress and in and when those times of acute stress happen, it's like, get stressed, you know, like don't use your meditation there, like be on guard, let the adrenaline and cortisol come in where the meditation comes into play is that if you've had a regular practice, your ability to come back to homeostasis is infinitely greater than someone that does not meditate. So it's like you become more adaptable. You get stressed when it's appropriate and you get relaxed when it's not appropriate. Right. And, you know, my, my practice, which I've, uh, uh, you know, done for a year now, and I can't remember if I said this on the podcast just now or not, but, but I'll repeat it, which I've been done every single day for the last year. So I have not had a day off of meditation every once in a while, maybe five or six times. I've missed one of my two meditations a day, but otherwise 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the afternoon. And, so and on the one hand, you, you could say like, wow, that's a lot of time, right? 40 minutes in a day, 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the afternoon. On the other hand, given the kinds of stress that you're talking about, does 20 minutes really make a difference? Like, can you, is it really enough? I mean, can you, can you really detox your body of stress by sitting and breathing uh, and, and, and really relaxing in a deep way for 20 minutes twice a day? So your question is, should we be doing it more? Should we be doing it all day for the next 10 years? <laughs> because of how stressed we are. Because of how stressed we are, right. I mean, is it going to make a dent? Are we going to make a dent? Or should we get 20 minutes more work done and that'll make us less stressed? Okay, great question. So the cool thing about meditation is that more is not better. At least what I teach at Ziva, okay? It's like this thing is so powerful. It's I like to call it the the Maserati of meditations, right? That, that you don't have to do more. Um, 20 minutes twice a day is what we do with the live, with the online course. And in the book, we just do 15 minutes twice a day. And the cool thing is that because it is so powerful, it is enough to induce this very deep healing rest where you're de-exciting the nervous system. And when you de-excite something, you create order. And when you create order in your body, in your cells, that lifetime of stress can start to come up and out. But if we start doing it more, if we start doing it five times a day or six hours a day, we speed up that unstressing process, that catharsis in a way that becomes inelegant. And uh, then you're like crying in a corner and you can't leave your house. <laughs> so more is not better in the case of meditation. And I do think it will make a dent, but that is dependent on us getting a critical mass of the population meditating, right? Right. Because we selfishly come into meditation to make ourselves better. But then ultimately, like, what's the ripple effect of that? 
you know, if we're really going to change human consciousness, then we're going to need, you know, hundreds of millions, perhaps billions of people meditating. Right. You know, it's actually interesting because like I'm, I'm listening to my own question and I'm realizing that it's such a um, it's such a stressful approach to meditation to think that we should be meditating all day as opposed to just taking 20 minutes and taking a little bit of the edge off. Like this idea that it's not about taking a little of the edge off. We're overwhelmed and we have to address it in this really, you know, profound big way. But there's something in and of itself uh, reducing stress in seeing this as a 10 to 20 to 30 year process of slowly kind of ebbing towards a different kind of way of approaching life. And with the, and, and you know, and with meditation being the catalyst uh, and the tool for that to happen, that it's kind of like literally don't try to rush it because that might just be a symptom of the problem. Yeah. And it's, it's about enjoying yourself all along the way. You know, it's after one meditation, life is going to be sweeter. The colors are going to burn brighter. Food will be more flavorful because that stress dampens our senses. Right. So even after one day of it, even after one class, you feel more present, more, you know, more able to enjoy life. And, and if you ask me, like, that's the point, you know, like the purpose of life is the expansion of happiness. And, and it's very hard to feel happier, to enjoy your life when you're in that fight or flight stress reaction, because you're not choosing anything in that case. If you're in an involuntary fight or flight stress reaction, you are reaching to wine and cookies and fat and potato chips and sex and porn and coffee and sleeping pills and, and anything you can do to get relief, to just make you feel better, to get out of what feels awful. And, and so when you relieve yourself of that, you know, it's a little bit of a prison of stress, then, then it frees you up to not only perform better and be more productive, but also to enjoy your life more. Right. So, and I, and I found this to be true. Like I, I have um, my meditations I actually find it, and one of the things that you teach both in the book and in your program is to um, not get up from meditation too quickly. And I find that when I do, because I have to, you know, I've just had that amount of time, that I could feel my body differently. Like my body isn't moving as fast. My body, so I could feel it. So here's two questions that I've, I've wondered about. One is you say again and again and again and again and again that a shallow meditation is no better than a deep meditation. I find that still hard to believe. And I find it hard to believe because I could have a shallow, thought-filled meditation and I can get up and be like, all right, I sat. That's good, right? I fulfilled my commitment to sit for 20 minutes this morning, but my mind was going the whole, whole time. And I, didn't, I never dropped into that place where it was a little hard to get up from. And then I could have an afternoon meditation, and it usually does work out that way, where there's a depth to the meditation where I open my eyes and I actually have to just sit there for a minute or two in order to kind of pull my resources back into my body and stand up and be present in the world. And it is, I, I want you to convince me, but it's not, I'm not going to be easily convinced that that morning meditation is just as good in terms of all these objectives we're talking about as the afternoon meditation. Okay, here we go, you guys. <laughs> if I were to get like one like temporary tattoo to all of my students. Right, and I'll tell you, well, let me just, I'm going to interrupt because I want to say the reason this is such an important question is for a lot of people when they start meditating, they will meditate and they'll be like, I don't know, this isn't doing anything for me. I was thinking the whole time. 
So, yeah. so they, that will be their experience beginning to meditate. And so yeah. you now not only have to answer my question, but convince them that it's worth, even if that was their experience of meditating and they didn't see a benefit that was, you know, that, that was uh, felt to them that um, they should keep going. Okay. I, boy, do I have a lot to say about this. So first things first, we meditate to get good at life, not to get good at meditation. Right. No one's meditating because they want to be the best meditator in the land. We're all doing this thing because we want to be better at life. And you can quantify that in whatever way you want. How kind am I? How patient am I with my teenagers? How's my sleep? How's my sex? How much money am I making? You know, how, how much am I in flow state? How often am I getting sick? And I actually give people a homework assignment when they come and take the course here at Ziva. We have them write it down and online they fill out an online survey where I have people quantify their relationship with stress as of day one of the course. And then in the in-person course, we mail that letter back to them three months later. And so that you have like an actual like written gauge of your success. Um, so you can see how far you've come. So step one is we meditate to get good at life, not to get good at meditation. So if you're micromanaging and micro judging every single sitting of like, oh, was that deep or shallow? How many thoughts was I having? Was it good thoughts? Was it bad thoughts? Then you're, that's going to be A, a nightmare. And B, you're always going to feel like you're failing. And here's why. The mind thinks involuntarily, just like the heart beats involuntarily. So if you're making your dinner or driving or zoned out, like, listen up, you guys, this is the single most important piece of advice I could give you about your meditation practice. The mind thinks involuntarily, just like the heart beats involuntarily. So trying to give your brain a command to shut up is as impactful as trying to give your heart a command to stop beating. It does not work. And yet this is the criteria by which most people are judging themselves. And this is honestly why people think that meditation is hard. This is why they feel like they're failing. And this is why the world is filled with ex-meditators. I sat down, I tried it. I instead wanted to have a snack. And then I was thinking about how I was thinking about a snack. And then I felt like a failure. And then I quit. Right. And now you've been doing it 20 minutes twice a day for a year. And you're still judging the morning ones that are more active and thoughtful. You're judging those as worse than the afternoon ones, which are deeper. Um, you're judging those as better. Now, so step one is know that thoughts are not the enemy of meditation. Effort is. To answer your other question about well, like why. Well, say that sentence, that last sentence again, I feel like is really important. That I'm going to repeat it. That, that thoughts are not the enemy of meditation. Effort is. So what you're teaching is a real letting go of effort, not letting go of thoughts. Yes. And, and again, I want to highlight that this Philosophy, this technique, applies very specifically to Ziva meditation. It is not applicable to all meditation. So if you're trying to do mindfulness or if you're you know, listening to a YouTube visualization or if you're trying to do a Buddhist meditation or chanting or something, then those require a level of focus. They require a level of discipline. And, um, and a lot of those techniques are derivative of monastic practices, which is why they are a bit more rigid. You, know, you yourself come from a more monastic background. And I think that's why this is a bit of a, um, you're just, it's just taking a little longer for you to reframe um, this, this idea of surrender and effortlessness because right. this Ziva is based on something that was designed not for monks, but for people with busy minds and busy lives, people who live in society. And so if you think about it, it's 99% of the world's population that is what we call householders versus it's only 1% of less than 1% of the world's population that is monastic by nature. And yet we've taken these monastic forms of meditation and, and tried to bring uh, them to the household. 
you know, we bring them to the householders. And I think that's why so many people are like, I can't meditate. I can't clear my mind. I can't meditate. I'm too busy. But the question is then like literally the sensation in my body is different. So I'm okay saying a thoughtful meditation. I come back to it, but stepping out of my meditation, it's a very different feeling when I have a deep versus a shallow, but you're saying in terms of the neurological impact of that meditation on my body, it's the same. Well, they actually, they are different. I'm just saying that one is not better for you than the other. So in the morning when they're very active and thought filled and more shallow, what's happening there is that you just slept, right? Like you just slept for seven, eight, nine hours. You wake up, your body does not need rest. So the body's going to use the meditation as a time for stress release. And when the body releases stresses, um, it launches into a little bit of activity. And so it's releasing stresses actually in the form of thoughts. So those thoughts are an indicator that some of that lifetime of accumulated stress is coming up uh, now, which is why it's more active, which is different than in the afternoon. Because all day you've been working, thinking, taking action, achieving, making money. You know, you've been doing your thing. And also we have a hormonal dip in the middle middle of the day. So where we used to have coffee or chocolate or a nap, you're now meditating. And so the body's tired. And so it's using that meditation as a time to rest and restore, which is why it feels deeper. It's why it's a little bit uh, less thought filled. And it takes you a little bit longer to come up and out of that at the end. So they are different. They are doing different things to the body. The thing that the drum that I'm beating is that one is not better for you than the other. Because if you go into your meditation trying to get deep and try to a good meditator, then you've ruined the whole thing. Okay, got it. That's actually really helpful. And it's kind of like the meditation, the, the, the thing I want to add to that is the meditation knows what it's doing, right? I kind of want to depersonalize it. Like the meditation knows what it's doing. So if you sit and you meditate and what you need is to let the thoughts go, and I think an important part of that obviously is not holding on to the thought and following it, but just letting it go and um, – that that's what the meditation needs to do in that moment. And in the afternoon, if it needs to go deeper in that particular kind of way, then like just trust the process and trust the meditation to do what it needs to do. Yes, beautifully said. Just like you trust sleep. Right. You know, when you go to sleep at night, you're not like, all right, liver, clean my blood. Okay, skin, exfoliate yourself. Like you're not controlling that process. You just lay down in bed and you go to sleep and your body runs a whole host of healing operations. Same thing in meditation. This thing is 6,000 years old. Millions of people have done it. Like it knows, it knows what it's doing. All right. Got it. I love that. Okay. Let's talk parking karma because you make certain promises, right? About meditation, right? Meditation will do this. And I follow the link to all of them, right? And I know from my own experience, it is delicious. I look forward to my meditation. Sometimes it's hard for me to sort of say, I'm just going to sit, but I don't make a big deal of it. Meaning I love that actually when, when I watch you teach, you're like sitting cross, cross-legged, but not the way most people think cross-legged. Like you're literally just sitting in a chair and your legs are crossed. Um, and, and it's, and so, so I don't make a big deal about it. I'm like, okay, I've got exactly 20 minutes. I'm going to go sit right now. Um, so I love that. And the fact that it de-stresses, all that stuff is great. But one of the things you talk about is, you know, you're, you're not going to get sick uh, in the same way or you're not. I have to say like this year, I think I've been sick more this year than I've been like in the past 10 years. And I mean, eight months into meditating every single day, twice a day, I got shingles. And, and, you know, which is apparently like a stress, uh, uh, kind of disease. And it was actually two days after I got the shingles vaccine. So there might be a connection, but everybody tells me there was zero, that it's impossible to, for the shingles vaccine to give you shingles, but somehow 
couple of couple of days after I got the shingles vaccine, I got shingles, and then I got into this bike accident, and then and I'm like, I feel like I've been sick, and I've gotten colds and stuff, and and like when I think about par- that, you know, you're not gonna be sick, and also parking karma, it's like it's harder for me to see the link between me sitting for 20 days and finding a parking space. So, uh, so okay. those are two slightly different questions because the Very sick different. question is really like, I'm not entirely sure why, but I was hoping I'd be sick less. I've actually been sick more, even though yeah. I find great benefit in meditation in a number of different areas. And then the parking karma, I'm wondering, I want to challenge you around the, that, like the, the magical thinking as, aspect of it, or is there really an impact? Okay, cool. So let's start with the sickness because this is really important. Um, one, I mean, I have more questions for you and, um, but I will, instead of making this super hyper-specific, I'll, I'll give it a little bit general so that people understand the patterns that I see oftentimes with students. Um, and that is that when you start this practice, right? Like if we're saying like, yes, I want to do this to de-stress, right? Then at some point we're going to have to be willing for the house to get a little dirty before it gets cleaner. Right. So it's just like if you were to invite a cleaning crew over to your house, you know, and then let's say you pop out to the grocery store and come back and they're like running the vacuum cleaner, spraying the Windex, they've moved the rug, they've moved the couch. And you're like, whoa, what are you guys doing? And they're like, we're cleaning your apartment. And you're like, no, no, I didn't see you could move my couch and don't spray Windex and don't run the vacuum cleaner. That thing is loud. I just want you to clean the apartment. And they're like, um, this sorry, is the process, what? right? <laughs> Right. And so it's, it's basically, and while this does seem a bit dramatic and, and I'm happy to talk through each individual thing, we can do that offline, but for a lot of folks, and, and this is like not a great sales pitch, but for a lot of people when they first start, and I know it might seem like first start, I'm a year in. Um, but if we look at a lifetime of a meditation career, and if we look at the decades that it took to accumulate the stress, that sometimes things get a little bit messier before they get cleaner. And I do see this happening where like things start to like things that were not sustainable will start to break down. Like destruction will come through to make way for creation. So relationships that were not sustainable will sometimes fall away. Sometimes with shingles, like it could have been some like dormant stress thing hanging out in your body. And then just the vaccine just at that moment was enough to kick it up and inflame it. I've had people who had dormant allergies to foods who like never were gluten intolerant or something and they start meditating and suddenly they become very reactive to those foods. And, and it seems like it's counterintuitive, but actually what's happening is if your body's constantly in fight or flight and it's reacting and inflamed to everything, then you, you don't even know what you're reactive to. So once you drop that baseline level of stress and inflammation, suddenly you're like here and then you eat gluten or you eat the shellfish or whatever and your body reacts to it, you actually see the reaction. Um, that can be it. Also, I would argue like, and this is a little bit more of a spiritual lesson is that once you learn something, you can't unlearn it. You know, like once you know something, you cannot unknow it. And so, because I know you and I, and, and I see how much you uh, achieve and accomplish and how hard you work. And you just did this book launch. You've got the podcast, you have all your clients. Like you knew you burn, you burn it hard and you run hard. And so sometimes when you introduce this restful practice, if you keep trying to run in the exact same way at the same level of intensity, body will start giving you some warning signs of like, hey, what if we were to do this in a gentler way? What if we could find a way to actually do less and accomplish more? 
you know, and, and so I, my gut is that this is signaling some things that may be unsustainable and some areas of your life that you may not have to actually work as hard. It's not about accomplishing less. It's about working less, doing less, stressing less, but accomplishing more. And you're earning that by actually increasing your state of consciousness. You're earning that by the time that you've invested into the meditation practice is increasing your cognition. It's increasing your creativity, your intuition, which leads me to the parking karma in a moment. Um, but anyway, I think we could talk more specifically about it, but know that this is not uncommon and it sucks. Like nobody wants to get sick. Nobody wants to be tired. Nobody wants to be irritable. But if we see it as part of the cleansing process, right. then I think it's an easier pill to swallow. Yeah. And I actually think it's that that resonates more with me than you're not going to be sick anymore because I think it's true. And what you're saying is very, very consistent with my experience, which is, yeah, I have been running for decades, even though I'm only like 22, but, it, but somehow for decades. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, and so I, I have been running and ways in which I'm running are a little inconsistent with ways in which I'm trying to sort of relax into my life. And, and it's a little hard to know how to do that, actually. It's like, mm -hmm. like I can meditate and that the meditation like sleep takes care of itself, but then figuring out, so what does that mean about slowing down? Or, you know, I am getting these signs. How do I slow down? It seems like a silly question, but it's not so clear to me exactly how to, how to slow down or try less hard. It's, yeah. it's not, that's not like, I mean, it's very easy, easier to say, but harder when you're someone who tries hard to, to actually be able to follow, know, know exactly how to follow through on. Yeah. So I am with you. I, I have had the same you have, challenge. You also have a book launch and a new child and a business yeah. and clients. And <laughs> yeah. And I'm a, I'm a recovering perfectionist. I'm a recovering control freak. And so, and actually I will say that it was sickness. It was, I got like debilitating bronchitis a few years ago. I think it was 2015. And so this might resonate with you and it might resonate with your audience as well. So I'm just going to share the story um, because I was very much, and you might be doing this a little bit as well. I was using meditation as a way to keep fueling my work addiction. You know what I mean? Like I was like, oh, I love achieving. I love working. I love accomplishing things. It validates my ego. It makes me feel important. And this meditation thing, and PS, this is kind of what the whole book is like doing. It's like wrapping the medicine that is meditation in the candy coating of like, hey, it's going to help you accomplish more. But with, but, and that's true, it will, but also the bigger sort of spiritual reality here is that if you're using any tool to supercharge or to feed an addiction, that's not sustainable, right? And, and so for me, what I was doing is I was like flying all around the world and I was speaking at all these conferences and I was, you know, teaching all the time and I wasn't making my own food and I wasn't sleeping enough and I was just burning it really hard. And because I love what I do, it doesn't feel like work to me, right. but that's still, even if you love what you do, you still have to take time to rest. You still have to take time to be with your friends. You still have to take time to be in nature and to have sex and to eat good food. And I wasn't doing that. I was using the meditation as like the cake instead of the icing on the cake. Right. And how did and so, you, what shifted for you? How did you shift that? Well, so I got really bad bronchitis for like weeks and I went to Burning Man and I had bronchitis. And if you know, Burning Man is like filled with dust. So to have bronchitis at Burning Man was awful. And I and this is thing that I love with all my friends and it's so fun for me. And I wasn't able to like play in this playground that I had made for myself. And uh, and so I really just took a little look at my life and I was like, what am I 
what am I running for? You know, like, why am I burning this so hard? What am I trying to prove and to whom? And, and so I just pulled the lens way back and I got this, the, the foundational piece of like, all right, sleep, non-negotiable. Okay. Food, nourishing food that I make or that I have someone make for me, like non-negotiable rest time, like non-negotiable. And I had to actually put it in my calendar. Like I would anything else. I had to put in this yin time, this restful time into my calendar in addition to the meditation. And then if you're doing all of that and meditating, it feels like you have superpowers instead of relying on the meditation to get you through your crazy ass schedule. Um, and then the other thing I did is that I started working with a life coach and I think, I think any life coach worth their salt is going to make you evaluate every area of your life, not just your work. And if you look at your life like a wheel, and as we know, neuroplasticity, if you want to increase neuroplasticity and increase neurogenesis, you have to really look at your whole life, every input that you're looking at your brain. And when you write down your dreams for all areas of your life, then it becomes clearer to like, I think a lot of us just forget to make personal goals is what it is. Like most of our goals and attention go on our professional life. And then we just think the personal life will take care of itself. Our health will take care of itself. But that's ultimately not sustainable. Right, right. That's great. That's very helpful. Okay, give us give us a sentence or two on uh, intuition and parking karma. Okay, so when I say parking karma, I just mean flow state, serendipity, synchronicity. And yes, it's a little woo-woo. It's a little out there. But there is an increasing amount of science that is catching up that is suggesting that there is this sort of uh, like super consciousness or this like collective intelligence. And when we when we meditate, we're taking our right brain to the gym and the right brain is the piece of us that is connected to everyone and everything. And my analogy for this is that our left brain is the laptop and the right brain is the Wi-Fi router. Right. So this is the thing that's allowing you to get onto the Internet. And if you're not meditating, if you're not taking your right brain to the gym, then it's like you have a really advanced personal computer, a really advanced laptop that can't get on the internet. And so if you're meditating, it's like you're able to get on Wi-Fi, you're able to download and upload and receive and just be a little bit more in flow. So let's say you're driving to the Whole Foods and it's time for you to park your car at that same instant that you have the impulse to go to Whole Foods, someone else is like having the impulse to check out. And it's like, oh, I'm I'm pulling in as they're pulling out. So you're actually tapped into a flow that's happening in the world that is unseen and unheard and yet exists. Yes. And it's that thing of like, oh, I thought about someone and they called in that moment. I had a dream about that person and then I ran into them on the street. It's those inexplicable coincidences, which P.S. just means coinciding event. Um, and so it's it's just a little bit of trust. You know, and I think that when we practice the surrender in the meditation, because the meditation is all about letting go. And like you said, trusting the practice as we practice that every day, twice a day, that level of trust and surrender starts to bleed into the rest of our lives. So we, we stop having such a death grip on our schedule and on our goals and on our accomplishments, which allows us to open up our hands <laughs> so that nature can put the thing inside of our hands. Yeah, I think there's something, there's such an important message here that's, that's coming from different angles about, you know, letting the meditation process do its thing, that we're not in control, that we have to create space for the body and for the world to do what it needs to do, that we can't willfully drive everything that we want to make happen to have happen, but, but what we can do is sort of create an openness to, you know, to allow what's going to happen to have happened. And, and I, you know, I know from my own experience, having 
you know, meditated really a lifetime in many ways, but certainly with this, uh, with with your technique for the past year, it it is uh, I've 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 actually seen it impact my life, which, in a strange way, I can't entirely say about all the other meditation that I've done, and and it's you know it's maybe a commitment to it or a consistency to it, or I also or think you're fit. a terrific teacher. And and I think it it you know the the question always is you know like you it, the way you described it is uh, is true I'll, I'll use slightly different words um, than like sleeping with you versus batting eyelashes, but I think that the 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 actual in person program was super super powerful the online was also really powerful not as much as the in person but really powerful, and and yes your voice uh, comes through really strongly in the book in a beautiful way and and it's you know it's absolutely you know, worth reading, worth looking at and, and actually worth trying, trying this and beginning to and not even trying it, just doing it uh, and, and, and beginning the process. And the book is a good way of easily getting into that process. Um, it's, it's uh, uh, this, you know, this, this work in some ways is hard to wrap your he head around and you could talk about it and read about it. And on the other hand, in, in other ways, it's the easiest thing in the world. I mean, you're literally, you know, we, we haven't actually, def, you know, we've defined meditation, but I haven't talked about it, but you're literally sitting with your back supported and your head free. In other words, you're sitting in a chair. One of the things that I have found very impactful is the, the mindfulness that you start meditation with, which is just, um, for me, breathing, having my exhale longer than my inhale kind of de-energizes, de-excites the body. And you're just sitting and you're breathing and you have a mantra and you're you're not even holding on to it very tightly, but just coming back to it when you notice that you um that you have left it. And it's the simplest thing in the world. And it uh I, I find it really does have profound impact. So I thank you for bringing this work and like you've really committed your life to it uh from a from a Broadway uh, chorus line career to um, to a meditation teacher, and you've done it really, really beautifully. The book for listeners, if you're interested, we there's a link uh, in in the podcast notes, and uh, Emily has offered listeners of the podcast a whole bunch of bonuses if you get the book uh, that um, you could just explore for yourselves and decide if you want to. But I really, really do suggest you know there's times when when there's a technique that actually, you know, has the power to have a really big impact on 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 us as individuals and then by extension on everybody that we meet. And and this is one of them. So Emily, thank you so much. The book, by the way, is again, stress less, accomplish more, meditation for extraordinary performance. Emily Fletcher is the author and teacher. Emily, thank you so much for being on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. It is such a joy to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. Here's what I've learned from working with some of the most successful leaders of the most successful companies. Every leader, every team, and every organization has a leadership gap. If you want to become a leader who inspires your team to get things done, then you've got to start by raising the level of your leadership abilities. You can start by taking our free leadership gap assessment at www.bregmanpartners.com forward slash quiz. 
Then dive deeper with a copy of my latest book, Leading with Emotional Courage. For more ways to become a truly great leader, check out our online offerings, in-person workshops and events, and my articles at www.bregmanpartners.com. Again, thanks so much for joining me today, and thanks to Claire Marshall for producing this episode. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.